Join Rabbi Ari Shishler for some fresh thinking every Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. 101.9 High FM, 101.9 megahertz of power. Very warm welcome to you. Good afternoon. Thursday afternoon it is. That's uh, the time of the week and the time of the day when we do fresh thinking. So welcome. Welcome to the show as always. And despite the gloomy weather about... Which I think people down in Cape Town wish that they were having. Although I see there is some cloud about in Cape Town and some rain forecasts still to come in the next few days. So please God, they get it. But in spite of the gloomy weather, the mood in town is far from gloomy. Everybody seems really upbeat today. It's actually quite something. It's, it's refreshing. It's nice to see. And very well timed on the Jewish calendar. Today is Rosh Chodesh, the beginning of the month of Adar. The Talmud tells us, Mishenichnas Adar Marbin Besimcha. When the month of Adar enters, joy increases. And so there's good reason, I think, for many people. Many people are very excited. News about uh, developments in the country, President Zuma resigning. And uh, a lot of people, I think, are seeing opportunity, a turning point, perhaps uh, getting things on track. So, yes, a lot of excitement about it. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today. I also want to deal specifically, I mean, I've been chatting with people all through the day and and different feelings and opinions coming through. There's one particular opinion that I want to share with you and hear your thoughts on it. So that's what we're going to talk about today, not so much about the uh, excitement but maybe a little bit more about our perspective and positions on that. So, as always, you're welcome to be part of the conversation. SMS line is 34519. You can WhatsApp 061-895-1019. Or you could tweet at Chai FM. You could tweet me directly, as always, at Rabbi Shish. There's actually quite a lot going on on Twitter right now at the moment, so hopefully you don't get lost in the shuffle. If you are going to tweet, put at Chai FM as well, so that it comes up on the Chai FM feed and I don't lose you in all the other comments that are going on at the moment. So, yes, definitely a lot of excitement. I was asking people this morning how they feel. There's uh, people saying that they feel optimistic, people saying that they feel... This is exactly what we need, uh, fresh blood, getting rid of uh, symbols of corruption, etc. I'm not here to talk politics, really, really not my thing. But it did raise a question, which, uh, in fact, a friend of mine raised, and I thought it would be a good question to bandy about and and talk about. And that is so or everybody was talking about, you know, how excited they are and people saying they didn't necessarily think that this was going to happen and there's optimism and people are hopeful and people associating it with the with the world of um of uh, Adar with the month of Adar. So the the question really is um are we allowed to celebrate somebody else's downfall? <laughs> because uh, I, I didn't get to listen to President Zuma's uh, or former President Zuma's speech, uh, resignation or whatever the words were that he said about uh, not not having done anything wrong, whatever the particular words were, there's all kinds of things banding about on the internet and whether they're reliable or not, I don't know. The question somebody raised earlier was all this euphoria, people feeling so happy about someone having stepped down because of the situation, I mean, it became untenable, right? There wasn't really an option. At some point, it got to the point where one thing or another was going to remove the man from office. Are we entitled to celebrate somebody else's downfall? And it's particularly relevant, I think, at this time of the year because we're coming up to Purim 
And I think many people will say that Purim is exactly that. It is the celebration of the downfall of of uh, Haman. So perhaps that should be the context that we could look at it from. I'd like to hear your views on it. As a Jewish person, do we have the right to be happy about somebody, regardless if that person may, in our view, be somebody bad, maybe somebody uh, who's potentially an enemy of the state or an enemy of the people. So while, of course, we believe very strongly in the removal of corruption and certainly corrupt leadership, are we entitled? That's the question we're going to talk about today. Are we entitled? Is it acceptable for us to celebrate that downfall, to celebrate the fact that somebody has been ousted from a position, to celebrate the fact that somebody was unable to hold on to the particular reign or piece of power that they had. And I'll give you a reference point. There's a Mishnah, quite a well-known Mishnah, that's a piece of early Talmud that says, when your enemy falls, do not rejoice, lest God turn his wrath from them and direct it at you. So we'll use that as a backdrop for our conversation. Is it a problem in light of that Mishnah and maybe just in light of common sense? Is it a problem to celebrate the downfall of somebody who you have an issue with? I'd love to hear your views on that. 34519. If you're going to send us an SMS, WhatsApp's on 0618951019. And as always, you can tweet at Chai FM. You can tweet at Rabbi Shish. Join Rabbi Ari Shishler for some fresh thinking every Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. 101.9 Chai FM, 101.9 megahertz of power. So talking today, oh, that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the celebration of the downfall of your enemy. Uh, as I said earlier today, people were all excited and euphoric and thinking that now we have a change of leadership and a lot of promise and optimism for this country, which I do think is a great thing. And th- th- there certainly is reason to feel good. The question is, are we as Jewish people, are we entitled to celebrate the fact that a person, even if it's a person who we think is a rogue, is has been deposed, has been removed from power, has been uh, somehow unseated, is is it acceptable for us to celebrate that? And the backdrop of this is this uh, particular reference in the Mishnah, where the Mishnah says that bin fol altismach that you should not, you may not celebrate the downfall of your enemy. And uh, if he falters, don't let your heart be glad, lest Hashem turn his wrath from that person and direct it at you. So that's definitely pause for thought, because that seems to imply that we should not, under any circumstances, celebrate when somebody else goes down, even if the somebody else is, to our mind, a bad person. And I do think it's in context at this time of the year. It's coming up for the holiday of Purim. And I definitely believe that that's part of what um, what we're talking about. Is, uh, that, that's, is that not a holiday where we celebrate the downfall of an individual or individuals? So it was pretty much about Haman, even though his 10 sons were also taken out. Nobody really celebrates that, but everybody knows about Haman and the fact that Haman, the enemy of the Jewish people who wanted genocide against the Jewish nation, who had the ear of the most powerful king in the world at the time, when he was brought to his knees, obviously that was cause for celebration. So there we go. That's something to think about. Here is a tweet from, I hope I pronounce this correctly, Klotlisu says, the man is not the enemy, the evil in him 
is the enemy. It's a, quite an insightful and I think quite a mature approach that sometimes that is what happens, that we, we get confused between the person and the behavior. And, and maybe that opens another whole question because let's go back to that reference in that mission. It says, when your enemy falls, you should not rejoice. Now, the fact that somebody is your enemy does not necessarily mean that they're a bad person. It could just well be that they oppose you, that you're an adversary in something or other. So it doesn't, it's not an objective standard when you talk about your enemy. And this tweet of here, what's from Tlotlitzo, is saying a similar kind of thing. It's, it's, it's not about the person, it's about the evil. There is definitely, well, at least this is what he's arguing, that there's definitely reason to celebrate the downfall of evil. Is that necessarily the same as celebrating the downfall of people? And perhaps at another angle, just to add to this, we know there's a story the Talmud tells about one of the great sages called Rabbi Meir. He was certainly one of the greatest Talmudic sages. And the Talmud reports that he had a group of neighbors who were, well, they, they, whatever it is, they were troublemakers. And they caused him a lot of distress. And at one point, things got so bad that Rabbi Meir toyed with the idea of praying to God to literally get rid of the neighbors. And I don't mean that they should have moved out of the house to get rid of them, finish them off, you know, a la mafia style. So when his wife and Rabbi Meir's wife, who, by the way, was a brilliant woman, and she's quoted fair amount of times in the Talmud with all kinds of insights. So when she hears about this, she says to her husband, I, I don't understand where you're coming from. I don't understand how you can possibly pray for people to be obliterated, even if their behavior is absolutely horrific and amoral. And she quoted a verse from the book of Psalms. In fact, today is Rosh Chodesh. It's the, the new month. And it's this particular psalm that we add into our prayers as part of the, the service for the new month. And the verse says, Yitamu chatoim min ha'aretz. That sins should desist from the land. So these are the words of King David, that sins should desist from the land. And she said to him, the obvious implication of that verse is, That our prayer is for evil to disappear, not for sinners to disappear. We'd much rather have a situation where somehow we weed out the negativity from people rather than to weed out those people. So if we put this all together, we have the Mishnah in Perkavot and the Ethics of the Fathers that says, don't rejoice over the fall of your of your enemy. And then we have this insight from Rabbi Meir's wife. Uh, it resonates quite a lot with this tweet of it's not the man, it's the evil. We, we, we shouldn't be. We should never be happy about the fact that a person fell because they were a bad person. We should be quite sad at the fact that they were that bad, that they had to fall. You look at the story, for example, of Pharaoh, the Egyptian king. Look how much time God gave him. Look how many times he sent Moses. Speak to him this way. Try to convince him that way. Send a plague. Give a warning after the plague. Explain what was going on. Try again. See if he'll change his tune. So... At the end of the day, it does not appear as if it's God's way to wish the destruction of a person, to wish the failure of a person, but more to wish the failure of negativity of evil itself. So that was that was a very insightful tweet. I wonder if other people have thoughts on that or uh, similar to that, because uh, it's definitely an interesting point. Here's R-O-L. I don't know what R-O-L 
means, but <laughs> that's on Twitter. ROL says, what about Moshe's song in Shemot 15? Now, that's an interesting one. Let's just give a little bit of background over here. We do know, uh, it's interesting that he calls it Moshe's, Moses' song, where actually it was the song of the entire Jewish nation. But anyhow, that's that's a, really a side point. So what ROL is referring to is after the children of Israel left Egypt following the ten plagues, and they then arrived at the Red Sea, famously chased by the Egyptians with nowhere to go, stuck between a rock and a hard place or in their in their situation between a sea and an army and God makes a miracle. The sea splits and they're able to escape and the Egyptian army is wiped out. So this tweet is asking, question, well, what about after that? We do know that the Jewish nation having arrived safely on the other side of the, uh, well, other side is another whole conversation, but anyhow, having arrived safely, gone through the sea now on dry land and the threat removed from them, they get together led by Moses and they sing a song of praise to God. It becomes known as Oz Yashir, or some people call it Shir Asayam, the song of the sea. And it's this beautiful poet or this beautiful song of praise, thanking God for all kinds of miracles that had happened to them, particularly the miracle of the splitting of the sea and the drowning of the Egyptian army. So there it seems that there is scope to be able to celebrate the downfall of people. There was a whole massive segment of the Egyptian population that was wiped out in that particular incident. And the immediate next step of the Jewish people was to stand and sing praise. I do wonder, though, is it the same thing? So that's, I guess, what the ROL's question is, is that seems to imply that it is acceptable to rejoice over the downfall of people. I wonder, is praising God and celebrating a downfall necessarily the same thing? And perhaps you have a view on that. It's easy to blur lines <clears throat> and to put everything into the same big general category of being happy because somebody else has failed or fallen. But I wonder, is it really the same thing to say, praise God because something amazing has happened to you, even if that something amazing means that he removed the threat of other people? Is that the same as being happy over other people having been destroyed, killed, having failed. It's a really important conversation because a lot of the time what happens over here in our country is we see that there was a case, maybe it was a bank heist or a hijacking or something like that, and the criminals get shot and killed and everybody's, hey, that's what they deserve. That should have happened to them. I think it's a normal reaction. question is, is it an appropriate reaction? So I'd love to hear your, your input on this one, 34519, if you want to share an SMS with us. You can tweet at Chai FM or directly at Rabbi Shish, and you can WhatsApp, which is a really good tool, 0618951019. Is it okay to celebrate the downfall of your enemy? Join Rabbi Ari Shishler for some fresh thinking every Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. 101.9 High FM, 101.9 megahertz of power. So, talking today, I mean, everybody today is talking, obviously, about the big news. It is the single big news story here in South Africa today. And, of course, that's the resignation of President Zuma. And all the peripheral stuff around that about court cases and who's being accused of what and who was arrested. 
But we are talking today from a somewhat different angle because there's so much euphoria about. So my question is, does Judaism allow us the uh, expression, self-expression, the emotion of glee at the fact that somebody who we think was a bad person and a bad leader and perhaps damaging to the country and all the kinds of things, we have strong feelings about it, or by extension for that matter, if it was somebody who was a criminal, is it acceptable for us to celebrate their downfall? Now, I imagine that some people are going to say, who says we're celebrating their downfall? We're, uh, somebody already sent me a comment. We're not celebrating Zuma's downfall. We're celebrating the future opportunities of this country. And if we can do that, then that's great. Obviously, a person should be looking much more to what will be than the celebration of what was and is no longer. So that's mature, and I think that that's got value. We were talking a moment ago about the fact that when the Jews left Egypt and the Egyptians were drowned at the sea, that what followed immediately afterwards was this incredible song of praise to God. And I'm asking the question, is a song of praise to God because he's removed the enemy from your life? Is that the same as celebrating that enemy's downfall? And and I'll tell you where I see the distinction. If you celebrate somebody else's bad fortune, even if that person is a bad person, at the end of the day, it's not necessarily, you can't really rationalize that this is something for higher purpose or that it's something which is appropriate, etc. It's really something more along the lines of makes me feel good. Whereas if you're praising God, what you're essentially saying is, number one, you're acknowledging that God does pull the strings. Otherwise, why are you thanking him if you believe that the decision was a decision made by the individual alone? Of course, there are other ways that a person could be taken down that are completely not their decision. Then it would be obvious that you have to praise God. But praising God is a shift because it makes us feel a sense of responsibility to higher higher authority, higher purpose. Uh, We can't just make the decisions on our own in terms of what's right and what's wrong. So there'd be quite a lot to think about in terms of praising God. So let's go back to that story. You've got the Jews. They crossed the Red Sea. Miraculously, the Egyptian army is drowned behind them. Now, there's a very interesting comment that's brought in two, at least two different places in Talmudic literature. And the comment goes as follows. It says... In the verse, it talks about just prior to the splitting of the sea that there was this uh, few hours where the Egyptian army was hot on the heels but unable to actually approach them directly. And the commentaries tell us that that's – you look in the verse, you'll see that the cloud of glory that used to lead the Jewish people through the desert moved and uh, stood behind them as a protection, as a screen that the Egyptian army could not get through. So the Talmud comments on this whole story, and the Talmud says something very interesting, that the angels in heaven, just like the Jews who had just been saved from the Egyptians, praised God. They composed a brand new song of praise. The angels in heaven wanted to do the same, and God didn't allow it. It's a very interesting comment, and the Talmud goes into the insight and the perspective on it, and the Talmud says that the reason that the angels could not pray at that time is because God said to them, my handiwork, meaning to say, my creations, individuals who I made, pause for a second. If God made these people, that means that they have a purpose and they have a value. Anyhow, so these handiworks of mine, these these people are drowning in the sea and you think this is an appropriate time to sing? 
That's how the Talmud puts it, which of course raises a big question. Well, if the angels were not allowed to sing at that time, why is it that the Jewish nation was allowed to sing? And in fact, it's not even seen as a negative thing. It's seen quite positive to the point that we read as part of our daily liturgy, we read that song, Oz Yashir, that same song that the Jewish nation sang as praise to God for having destroyed the Egyptians. So, Something doesn't add up over here. Either it's okay to sing and praise and celebrate the fact that your enemy's been wiped out, or it isn't. If it's no good for the angels, how's it good for the people? Or vice versa. If it's acceptable for the people, why is it not acceptable for the angels? And there are various commentators with various perspectives on this particular topic. We're not going to go through all of them. One perspective that I think is really important, and that is that the people had been victims of those Egyptians and the angels had not. There's a perspective right there. So if someone who harmed you is removed and destroyed, it might be more palatable that we can accept you would celebrate that. Whereas if it's somebody who maybe affected other people, but you were not a victim, and they had to be destroyed, maybe there you should be able to retain the objectivity to say it's a terrible thing that they landed up being destroyed. It would have been a lot better if they could have been reformed. Like the story I mentioned earlier about Rabbi Mary's wife, we'd prefer a situation where enemies are transformed into allies rather than a situation where enemies have to be killed. I think it's Golda Meir who said it when she was sitting as prime minister of the state of Israel. So I think it was she who said we can forgive our enemies for the fact that they tried to kill us. We can never forgive them for the fact that we had to kill them. Well, I think it was their children. I think it was the quote. And and there's definitely something in that. We, 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 really don't want people to be hurt. We don't want people to be harmed. We don't want people to have to suffer, even if they are our enemies. We'd much rather that they reform. So if you look at that story of the uh, of the people just having come through the, the Red Sea, that that is to answer ROL's tweet. That is a very important distinction that we have to make between Those who were victims celebrating the fact that they are no longer victims versus those who were never invested in that situation, namely the angels, and uh, they don't have the rights to be able to complain about it. Very interesting because I do think that's exactly what's on people's minds right now in the current situation right here in South Africa where many of us, maybe all of us, would believe ourselves to be the victims of this uh, difficult and corrupt time or corrupt leader and now we've been released so maybe there you have reason to be able to celebrate Um, but it does still raise that other question is it acceptable for us to celebrate the downfall of another person even assuming that that person was or is a bad person. I think what's important going back to that original Mishnah that I quoted at the beginning which is in fact what somebody with a friend had uh, drawn my attention to. The Mishnah says that you you may not celebrate the downfall of your enemy. Now, the word that's used over there is oivecha, your enemy in the singular. And maybe there is a difference between somebody who's your personal adversary versus somebody who has negative influence over the crowd. 
meaning to say somebody in a position of leadership or somebody who has genocidal tendencies or anything along those lines. So that's uh, possibly that's possibly something that we have to consider in this conversation. Lots of insight and lots of conversation, I think, around this topic. I'd love to hear what you think about it on 34519 via SMS or WhatsApp 0618951019. And, of course, you can tweet at ChaiFM. You can tweet me directly at Rabbi Shish. Pick up a Hyper Norwood has the following deal. You can actually collect free quality cookware. For every 100 Rand you spend at Pick and Pay Hyper, you will receive a stamp. If you spend 200 Rand, you receive two stamps and so on. So you collect those stamps and you stick them on your collector's card. You then take the collector's card to Pick and Pay Hyper to redeem your royal VKB cookware item. Keep collecting stamps to complete your range. So here comes the tongue twister. 40 stamps gets you a 20 centimeter frying pan. 50 stamps gets you a 16 centimeter saucepan. 60 stamps gets you a 24 centimeter frying pan. And 70 stamps gets you a 24 centimeter stir fry pan. 80 stamps is a 20 centimeter casserole pot with a lid. That's pick and pay hyper Nord. As I said last week, I'm not sure that I really know the difference between all these uh, kinds of pans and whatever. I suppose that's something I shouldn't say too loud. I'll probably get into trouble back home. But uh, that is how it is. So sounds anyhow like there's a good deal to be had on cooking where so why not head off to pick and pay and try it out 29 minutes to three o'clock it is fresh thinking you are with rabbi ari shishler talking today about the story that everybody is talking about i mean have you seen all the memes that are going about i couldn't get over it so early in the morning somebody already sent a picture with the president zuma and the caption said i waited until rosh chodesh adar to announce my resignation so that you could increase in joy i mean that's the stuff that's going around people are fussed they're just churning it out. And we can be excited. We could be happy. We could be optimistic. We could be cautiously optimistic. I think there are those people who've become so jaded and so cynical that they believe, hang on, let's not get too excited. We don't know what's going to happen next. Better the devil, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, we're not talking today about that. We're talking today about is it appropriate because there's so much joy in the streets. Is it appropriate for a person to celebrate the downfall of somebody who they feel is a bad person? That's what I am asking. Uh, here's Danny saying, uh, focus on the future of what comes next rather than the downfall of the past. And that's true. I agree with that completely. Sounds just a little objective, almost as if it's somebody who hadn't been through the trauma or the drama of what's been going on in this country for the last few years. And sometimes easier from a distance to make that kind of a statement. I think there are many people in our country today who who are celebrating what was and is no longer not only what will be. But I think it's a good perspective. Rather, look at what will be. It's interesting. I mentioned before the the song that the Jewish nation sang after they had crossed the sea, Oz Yashir, great praise to God for having saved them from the Egyptians. It is interesting that the second word, in fact, both of the first two words, if you think about it, are all future tense. So that is interesting because there you have a group of people who were slaves, now free, 
and their songs start about Yashir, what's going to be in the future. Here's Rabbi Josh on Twitter, says Gomorrah in Sanhedrin, that's the Talmud, distinguishes between God and people. God does not feel happiness at the downfall of the wicked, but people do. So I could think of a few different reasons why that might be. For one, God, like the angels in this sense, the angels in the story where the Talmud says they have no right to sing, wasn't the victim. So if a bad person falls, the reality is nothing's really changed for God. God was not hurt or harmed by the fact that there was some kind of corrupt individual living in this world, damaging people's lives or even destroying a country or even destroying the world for that matter. It didn't affect God personally. If, I mean, if you consider, what do they say, the size of our universe is something like 15 billion light years or something to that effect. One little planet, one little section on that planet where somebody is behaving badly and mistreating people is not necessarily reason enough that uh, God should feel a shift, a change, happiness, relief, or any of those things. So... It's understandable that God would not celebrate the downfall of a bad person. It's also, it's, it's also understandable from another perspective. God created that person and every one of us, that should be the theory, right? Every one of us was created with the opportunity to make a run for it, to achieve something, to succeed. Here's somebody who's failed so dismally. Surely God would not celebrate that. We don't have the same vested interest in the value of that person who landed up being our enemy. Our experience of them is just simply their bad side. So we don't have reason to feel saddened necessarily by the fact that they failed. And by the way, just on that point, it does raise another whole major discussion, which we're not going to do today, about whether the person is bad or whether their circumstances brought out the worst in them. As they say, power corrupts. For example, greed corrupts. Does that mean the person is fundamentally bad? It's very often the case that you meet somebody and they've done some horrendous things. But actually, on a one-to-one basis, they're quite decent. So that's another whole conversation. Uh, so, yeah, so there's uh, Rabbi Josh saying that it's uh, it's different. God and us, it's different. I think the difference also is that... If you go back and you read that statement in the Talmud, I'm actually going to read it to you because it's uh, he's included it, so I may as well read it to you. It's a quotation from Rabbi Yosef Reb Hanina, and it says, God does not rejoice over the downfall of the wicked, but he, and the word in Hebrew is mesis, which really, if you use a direct translation, is causes others to celebrate. Not allows, it's not that God permits us because we have a human weakness and that's just who we are. Of course we celebrate when somebody who's been a terrible person is out of our lives. It's not the word the Talmud uses. It sounds almost as though he facilitates. So there is some food for thought just on that point. Similar comment over here to one we had earlier. Uh, somebody saying we don't celebrate his downfall. We celebrate the better quality of lives that we will have going forward. That's very similar to Danny's point earlier about don't celebrate the past that is no longer, but rather celebrate the future that will be. Uh, definitely. Uh, I hear that. I resonate with it. It's not the question, though. Uh, 
my question is not what do we celebrate. My question is, is it acceptable to celebrate the downfall of a wicked person? Again, in the, ba- in the, in the context of that Mishnah, that early Talmudic comment that says, when your enemy falls, do not rejoice. And it goes further, it says, because God may then turn his attention to you and you'll pick up the anger that was originally directed at that particular individual. So it sounds like it's really advisable not to celebrate the downfall of another person, even a wicked person. Um, somebody else saying uh, the salvation from corruption and ego, not the misfortune of the other. So there's there's a point um, that it, uh, that's what we should be celebrating. We should be celebrating the fact that we no longer have this kind of trouble, this the sword hanging over us. But we shouldn't be celebrating the fact that that person got uh, was was moved off his pedestal. So. All resonates, all resonates. The question still remains, is it ever acceptable to celebrate the downfall of a bad person? That's my question. I'm not asking if we should celebrate something else. We all agree to that. We all agree that the most appropriate and mature approach, surely, should be that I don't celebrate the fact that he lost his position. I celebrate the fact that we now have the promise of better leadership and a better future. Got that. That's not my question. My question is, is it ever justified for us to celebrate the downfall of a bad person, of our so-called enemy? So if there's some, I, I mean, we don't obviously live in that time, but do you not think that when Eichmann went on trial and was put to death do you not think that his victims celebrated his death or for that matter i suppose well the the story of hitler's death maybe didn't come out as quickly or as easily or as clearly as people would have liked so maybe that's not such an easy one but i imagine that there must be many examples of people who had reason to celebrate and did celebrate the fact that an evil person was gone Let's talk about Purim as a case in point. It's it's different to all the other Jewish holidays. Because on Pesach, when we celebrate the exodus from Egypt, we don't celebrate the destruction of Egypt. We don't. We celebrate the exodus. In fact, it is the only Torah-based festival of the whole year where we do not recite the full Hallel, the, the songs of praise. Today, as Rosh Chodesh, the beginning of the month, we sang partial Hallel. We left out certain sections because it's not a day that commemorates huge miracles. But if you go to the other holidays, so Pesach, Shavuos, Sukkot, Chanukah, those are days when we say the full Hallel, except for the latter days of Pesach. When it comes to the point in the story that the Egyptians are drowned, we're not allowed to sing the same kind of praise as we do for other miracles because we don't want to focus on the destruction of our enemy. And Purim, as we'll see in a moment, is something of an exception. So what do you think? Is it ever acceptable to celebrate the downfall of your enemy? Love to hear your voice on this one. Join Rabbi Ari Shishler for some fresh thinking every Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. 101.9 High FM, 101.9 megahertz of power. So, talking today about the big story in local politics, 
the resignation of President Zuma. My question, is it something to celebrate or anybody else for that matter? The Mishnah tells us, when your enemy falls, do not celebrate. What about now? Uh, quite a number of people making comments over here. Uh, some of them very insightful, by the way. Somebody says, we shouldn't revel in Zuma's pain, but neither should we be parav in celebrating the values of integrity, clean governance, and political will to improve the country. That's very nice. I definitely think that that's a, a nice and a balanced view. Let's take a look at Purim and what distinguishes, because it's the holiday that's coming up in exactly two weeks from today. So is there something that distinguishes, well, there is something that distinguishes Purim from all the other holidays of the Jewish calendar, and that is that we do apparently celebrate the downfall of a person. We don't only celebrate, it's, it's unique, we don't only celebrate the fact that we as a Jewish nation were rescued from a potential genocide because that is the history of Purim. In fact, it's the only time in Jewish history that there was the possibility of an attack on the entire Jewish nation simultaneously, and we were rescued from it. But we don't only, even though that's the primary thing that we se- we celebrate, that the things were turned from negative to positive, etc., but what we do is we turn an individual into the villain and we actually celebrate the downfall of that villain. Every time in the Megillah story that we mention his name, we make a big racket to drown it out. There are things that we eat, homentashen, which are supposed to remind us of the villain in the story and the fact that he's kind of been destroyed. There are people who, all kinds of things. People might write the name Haman under their shoes so as they walk around, the name becomes obliterated. And there is reason for it because Haman belongs to a particular group, a particular lineage, which is called Amalek. And that is pure evil. Amalek has no potential for being reformed. So it's because there's a very unique approach that we have in Judaism to Amalek. Maybe that's why things are a little bit different. But I'd like to tell you a story. And the story is reported in the Midrash, and the story goes like this. The Megillah on Purim, what we read on Purim, tells us that at some point in the story, the king, Achashverosh, becomes quite suspicious of everybody in his inner circle. He doesn't know who he could trust. He gets the sense that people want his head or want his throne. And he it just, just so happens one night he can't sleep. It's a critical moment in the Purim story. He can't sleep. And he's trying to work out who in the kingdom can he trust. And exactly at that point, his very close advisor, Haman, who, by the way, at this point in time, he had begun to suspect was not so loyal. So Haman arrives. This is late at night. He arrives at the palace. The king says to him, what are you doing here? He says, I'm sorry, before that. The king flips through the royal chronicles and he finds that there was a fellow called Mordechai who unveiled a plot on the king's life. And he says, oh, there's, there is one person I can trust and he needs to be honored and I don't know how to honor him. Then Haman walks in and the king says to him, so what do you advise? What do I do to the person who I wish to honor? Haman naturally expects that that's talking about himself. And so he falls right into the trap and says, give him the royal steed and let him wear the royal garments and be paraded through the street by the most important person in the country. And announcements as he goes through the street, this is what should be done to the man who the king wishes to honor. And then, of course, his terrible surprise and chagrin, it turns out that the king says to him, yes, thanks. I want you to go and do all of that for a guy called Mordechai. And Haman is both ashamed, I mean, he's completely humiliated and 
furious all at the same time. But he's got no choice. He's got to go and do it. And so he goes and he fetches Mordechai. Now, if you remember the context of the Purim story, all this drama unfolds at the time that Mordechai had called for a three-day fast where the Jews would storm the heavens to try and remove this threat that hung over them. So Mordechai is a little bit emaciated at this particular point in time. He hasn't eaten for three days. And Haman arrives at his house and says, okay, listen, we've got to do this thing. The king wants me to parade you through town with these big announcements that this is what should happen to the man who the king wishes to honor. And Mordechai says to him, listen, I cannot represent the throne the way I look. You've got to help me. You've got to clean me up a little bit. You could take me to the bathhouse, give me a haircut. And then eventually when they get to the horse... Mordechai says, I've been fasting for three days. I don't have the energy to climb up on this horse. So Haman says, fine. I have no option. I'll bend down. You climb onto my back, and that way you'll get onto the horse. And as he bends down, Mordechai, and you've got to bear in mind who we're talking about over here. Mordechai is this very holy, mystic, spiritual Jew. He's a prophet. He's an older man, and he's got incredible dignity. As Haman bends down, Mordechai gives him a good kick in the seat of his pants. And at that point, Haman turns, surprised. And he says, Mordechai, I don't understand. Doesn't your religion teach that when your enemy falls, you should not rejoice? What are you doing? You should be rejoicing the fact that the king is giving you all this honor. You should not be rejoicing at my humiliation and degradation. And Mordechai replies to him, he says, very interestingly, he says, what you're referring to is an ordinary enemy. As I was saying a little bit earlier, my personal adversary, you, Haman, on the other hand, you're a fundamentally wicked person. And when wickedness falls, there's a reason to celebrate. And not only that, he quoted another verse from the Torah that says, when wickedness falls, you should stand on top of their high places. And he says, that's what I'm doing to you. There's a, a similar verse that says there is song at the downfall of the wicked. So that's where we need to make a distinction. If we're just upset at somebody because we don't like the way they behave towards us, or even because we don't like the way that they run our country and we feel that they are doing things which are damaging to us, that is not necessarily licensed. In fact, it's not licensed to celebrate their downfall. That's where the Torah warns us that God will shift his attention and direct the wrath he has for the wicked person at you. But if you're dealing with somebody who is fundamentally evil, then yes, yes, there is not only place, but there is an imperative to celebrate the collapse of evil. It's part of what keeps a moral society moral. The fact that we are happy to see evil dissolve. So absolutely, 100%, before the fact, we would pray that that person should be relieved of their evil tendencies and they should come around and get with the program and fix themselves up, pull themselves up by the bootstraps. That's what we would like. But if they don't, and they remain evil, and I'm saying evil in an objective sense, they are corrupt or they are murderous, or whatever the particular case is, then there is there is room to celebrate the downfall of evil. I go back to the tweet we had right at the beginning. You don't celebrate the downfall of the person. You celebrate the downfall of evil itself. So that's an important thing for us to remember because if we lose sight of the fact that evil is something that should sicken us, 
and something that should cause us tremendous happiness if it's removed. That's a really, really different perspective. Uh, he has an SMS that says, surely if we are God's children, then harm done to us is personal to him. I like that a lot. And to be honest, I think that's the motivation why when God did not allow the angels to sing praise after the Egyptians had been drowned, he did allow us to sing praise. Because we're his children. And the fact that we were hurting definitely affected him. In fact, we have a verse like that in the Torah, where the Torah says, Bechol tzorosom, loy tzor. In all of our difficulties, God feels the difficulty. So I'm glad you, I don't know who sent that SMS, but it's a, it's a great point. And it's definitely something to consider. So would there be some kind of simcha on high when our enemies are defeated? Yes, that's a good point, And it's most likely true. Um, but I want to distinguish over here between somebody who's just upsetting to me, I don't like them, versus somebody who is truly evil. And it's difficult to imagine that people are truly evil. They're rare. Haman is a rare breed. Hitler was a rare breed. There are plenty of people out there who are not sick to their core, but are very misguided and very caught up in their own greed or their own egos. And there we have to hate the evil, not the person. A couple of other messages coming through. I'll share them with you in a moment. If you've got something to say on the subject, please let us know. 34519 SMSs 0618951019 WhatsApps and tweets go to at Chaifem or directly at Rabashish. Join Rabbi Ari Shishler for some fresh thinking every Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. 101.9 High FM, 101.9 megahertz of power. Such a pity that some of the really interesting messages are coming through when we've only got a few minutes left. There's a WhatsApp over here, also unsigned, and it's intriguing. So I had mentioned before that we're told God did not allow the angels to sing praises at the time the Egyptians were drowning or had just drowned, whereas the Jewish nation was allowed. So somebody sent a WhatsApp over here saying, according to, in brackets, I don't remember who, maybe the Vilna Gaon, the angels were going to allow the Egyptians to hear the song which would have killed them. And God said that uh, it needed to be Mida connected Mida, which means measure for measure, and they need to drown. I'd love to have a source or something just to develop that idea a little bit better. It's a, it's an interesting concept, and it's a very, yeah, I, I would definitely want to know where we could look that up in greater detail. Chaim sends an SMS to say, uh, Rabbi, he, he, I'm assuming, means President Zuma, I'm assuming, did not have a choice. God put him in power to get the Jews to go to Israel. It's all part of Hashem's Mashiach redemption plan. Well, I definitely agree that every single thing that's happening on the political landscape is part of God's plan. And I definitely agree that it's part of his plan pushing us towards Mashiach. I'm not absolutely convinced that God put him in power to get the Jews to go to Israel because most of them tended to have gone to Australia and to the United States. So I don't know that that necessarily is the case. And, and... Uh, considering that that reign is now over, uh, what's, what's it going to take to get the Jews to go to Israel now? So it's an interesting point, but I'm not sure that I necessarily agree with the point. I think your, your perspective that he didn't have a choice is in line with the perspective that we shouldn't rejoice over his, um, personal, uh, you know, the fact that the country is getting better, that, or 
please God. That we can rejoice over. The fact that he as an individual has been deposed, maybe we can't rejoice over that because he didn't have a choice. Okay, so that's an interesting point. So much more that we could talk about on this particular topic. But I do think one of the things that's become somewhat blurred in today's world is the concept of evil. And that we need to to be willing to take a stand against evil and that we need to be that clear in our minds that evil is something so despicable that should it go, that is a cause for our celebration. I think that's something we need to bring into focus right now. So rather than making it about the person, we need to make it about, and a few of you, I suppose a few of you have made that point. We need to make it about the negativity that's hopefully now removed. And, and I say hopefully because don't think for one moment that things change overnight and don't think for one moment that everybody is squeaky clean except for one man who sat at the top. We understand that things are complex and we understand that it takes time to heal and we understand that it's, there's all kinds of shifts and changes that have to take place. But I think what is important for us is rather than just to get caught up in the euphoria, yes, we got rid of the big bad wolf, is to understand a bit of context. The context being that there's goodness and there's opportunity and there's optimism. I, I cannot help but think of that day. It was I, I remember this absolutely clearly, the day that uh, former President Mandela was released from prison. I remember it absolutely. I remember where I was. I remember watching it on TV as he was released from prison. And literally a couple of hours later, one of the leading rabbis in this town was at the Lubavitcher Rebbe in New York and mentioned the fact that the community was worried about where the future of this country would go. And the Rebbe gave him a blessing. It's on video. You can find it on YouTube to take back to South Africa to say that South Africa will be good until the coming of Mashiach and thereafter even better. So, Maybe people will say it hasn't been as good as it should have been. Maybe people will even say it hasn't been good. But I think everybody will agree that it looks like it's about to get better. And for us as Jewish people, that's hopefully a sign that we're headed straight into the messianic time. Not because of who's going to take over this country, but because, as Chaim said, there's a greater plan. So, please, God, let's look forward to exciting and positive things to come. In the meanwhile, we should uh, have a Chaim on Shabbos. Why not? It's the month of Adar. You're supposed to be joyous. Let's use this as an opportunity to rejoice and let our joy be the catalyst for blessings in all of our lives. Wishing you a wonderful Shabbos and a good week ahead.